We hope you enjoyed part two of this special miniseries who we're becoming with President Jeff Fuller. In the second half, we start off with a lighthearted conversation about his favorite Yeti bottle and what Jeff Fuller enjoys the most out of purchases that were under $100. We then talk about our own professions. I'm a doctor and I'm talking with three educators. So there's an interesting discussion there about whether we find our professions fulfilling. We then talk about the power of saying no and also a big career change that Jeff has undergone recently. We move on to talk about how to build a personal relationship with the Savior and, and really how we've learned to do that over the years and how we're still developing and learning that skill. And then lastly, we wrap up by talking about how we are taking the prophet's invitation to live celestially in our own heart. And then Jeff at the end shares who he's becoming through the Savior Jesus Christ. I wanted to go on totally different direction. We'll, we'll get into it a little bit. We're you getting like, to some like deep waters. <laughs> we'll probably go back into the depths again before we're done. Okay. Um, but I want to talk to you about your Yeti water bottle that oh, you have not stopped talking about Yeti. since you came here. So <laughs> I, there, I ask a silly it. question. Kirsten just yeah. grabbed her giant water bottle yeah. while we're talking. 64 ounces. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's water bottle flexing right there. Yeah, yeah. she's just I trying to shut up. I actually despise this whole water bottle movement. Everybody yeah. in my family has like two. I call uh -huh. them the sippy cups because like, it's the same problem. The lids are all different. Yeah. They're all different sizes. Right. Like, you have to have like a bin somewhere with all the different lids. They just sit on the yeah. sink. So to fill everybody in, so the, what we're talking about is we do have one question that we ask the the guests for this mini series about what's your favorite <laughs> thing that you spent under $100 on? And the, the purpose of this is really to get, you know, an idea, a little bit more of a window into you. Obviously, if you <laughs> if you spent, you know, $50,000 on something, you know, we assume that that was an important investment for you, right? But, you know, it's sometimes the less expensive stuff that we enjoy can tell you more about your personality. So, right. to, so mine's a water bottle. Yeah, it's just a water bottle. Really, my answer, though, is about, like, experiences, I think. Yeah. You know, I don't yep. spend a lot of money. I'm not a spender. I don't go buy a lot of things. Um, maybe books that drives Christine nuts rather than just getting them at the library, but I like to own a book. Um, but I have learned as I've gotten older to spend money on like going to do things with my kids or as a family more than anything else. But I did <laughs> my answer. If it had to be a thing was this Yeti water bottle. I think it's 32 ounces. I'm looking at it right now with such loving eyes. <laughs> so my question is, did you what I love about this? it. No, well, no, I just happen to like fall into it. Okay. So first of all, it's a Yeti. So it just keeps things cold. I need my water to be cold, yeah. right? When you were on your mission, <laughs> did they just give you lukewarm water? And I mean, yeah, there was no, no ice. ice. There's no oh. ice. Even at McDonald's, sometimes yes. they wouldn't give you ice. Yeah. Um, and right. And so if I'm drinking water, it has to be really cold. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it has this little twist top that then has this perfect lid so that like you don't get water like all over your face when you're trying to drink it or that it's like too small. And I also don't really want a straw. And then it's also the perfect size because I feel like I feel a lot of pressure to drink water because you're supposed to and I drink too much soda. So I need to like up my water intake because right. I drink too much soda. <laughs> I totally have that problem. <laughs> and uh and so because I have to fill it up a couple times in the day, I feel like, oh, I'm doing I'm doing good. Well. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. And it's blue. 
for obvious like reasons, like right? Go Millers, yes. go Cougars, I was I, say, go Agnes Stewart. Go Agnes. Right. I'm going to say if, if did you name the, we were going to name the water bottle. And, and if we think of a good name, that could be our next prize for the podcast. I didn't know podcast. it was a Yeti. Yeah. But, <laughs> did you have a different name for it? Well, no, I mean, now that we have, now that I know it's Yeti, we could probably play with that. But Thermos of Destiny. Was thermos so of Destiny. <laughs> yeah. Thermos. I don't know if anybody would get the Thermos reference because nobody says that. Anymore. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, only we would, like our generation. We yeah. would get it. Yeah. yeah. 40 and above prize. I guess. All of our yeah. lunchboxes <laughs> were made by Thermos. Do you yeah. count yourself in the 40 and above yet, Jason? I got a couple months left. <laughs> a couple good months. You can't win. You know what's funny, man? I I actually, this is so stupid, but I actually think like appreciating the small things is is pretty fun and and help me enjoy life more. Honestly, yeah. Like I I learned that from Greg Goodrich. A lot of you probably know Greg Goodrich from mm-hmm. Second Word and he was State. my executive secretary. Yeah. yeah, and and he he it can drive you nuts at first when you play golf with him because <laughs> you're usually just trying to like move along, and he will point out something tiny that is you know an insignificant that he he says this is beautiful mm. and I, I i love learning that from greg and That's so cool. you know i i think even appreciating your water bottle you Enjoying know can the, bring the more joy to life. Yeah. life yeah yep. that's true it doesn't fit in my cup holder in my car. Oh, that's a big deal. That's a deal yeah, breaker. That, but, no, no, it does. But, you know, I have like a cup holder where you can remove the little middle oh, thing yeah. and then it fits. Camille has those too. So it does, yeah. it does fit, but not, you know, right. ideally. But I, I do. I do love it. Yeah. Yeah. What, so, it, what else do you want to talk about, John? You need to buy John? a car to go with the <laughs> I need yeah, to right. buy a new car. <laughs> well, well, well. Yeah, right. those Tesla's <laughs> cup holders. <laughs> I think we got to give John a, a shot here. Oh, my gosh. I you guys the, didn't want to give him a warning at all either. You said you were just going to come out here and just guns a-blazing questions. Okay. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this one. Let's go. Um, oh. Do you find your profession fulfilling? And I'm calling on the last, how long have you been a teacher? 18, 19 years? Well, 21, including you, Tom. Mm -hmm. So do you find your profession fulfilling? Why or why not? And I'm only asking this because in the last five years, I've Mm -hmm. really been struggling with this question. Mm -hmm. Personally, this year, I find it a little more fulfilling than I have the last two Because I'm gone? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, kind kind of the opposite. Yes, no, because you're gone, I'm finding it fulfilling because I'm having to actually not sort of lean on you as a crutch and go, mm. why are you here still at Agnes? Because Jeff Fuller <laughs> made it so easy. Um, but, it, and it's also, you know, the students, not the greatest three years of students we had, you know, like your last mm-hmm. two years, especially. It's been tough since so, post-pandemic. Yeah, it's been tough. Um, I I have completely, I, I would say the answer right now might be a little different just because I'm still on this transition and we can talk about that later. But um, I think working in education, is I, I tried to avoid it for the longest time. My dad was a high school teacher. I saw how hard he worked and how little he got paid and bringing home papers every night to grade, which I actually loved to help him grade. I thought that was super fun. Um, spoiler for some of the right. students if they ever heard that, right? And we're like, oh, a 12-year-old was grading my paper. <laughs> but uh, so I tried to go into a different field. I actually tried to go into medicine. I was like, well, I knew I wanted to work with kids because I just enjoyed working with young people. And so I was like, I'm going to be a pediatrician because then I can make some money. And then I shadowed a pediatrician as I was going through uh, my program at BYU. And I thought it was the most boring, like horrible day. 
I mean, I was like, I went several times, but it was like the same thing coming in with a sick kid with a runny nose. The kids could barely like tell you what was wrong. So then you're just listening to these parents that are like overbearing and like, you know, so I was just like, I can't do that. Right. And then, uh, I mean, I knew, I think I knew all along that I was going to go into education, but I just was trying to avoid it. But I mean, there's so many things that I love about it. I, I love that every day is different. Every day is like a new adventure, right? You get to, you, no matter how bad the day was before, like the n- new day can be great, right? Or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And you always have the best story to tell at the dinner table because something's going to happen that day, <laughs> you know, at school. Um, you're learning all the time. Like, I think it's similar to, you know, so many things in the gospel. Like, I don't know if you'll ever get to the point as an educator where you're like, yep, I know everything about it. I'm the best I'll ever be at it, right? So you're always learning, always trying something new. And I think that there's just really good people that go into education. So you end up working with incredible people. And, you know, you might think that it's like a selfless job and that you're like helping other people and serving in in a different way but you also just get so much back in return it's one of the things i'm kind of struggling with now is that i don't really see the impact of my work every day because i'm not around kids and i'm not around teachers even every day and so but when you are it's like there's something that a kid's going to say to you or you see that they learn something or you know like you help a teacher get to a certain point or you help provide them with something that they need and then they do something incredible with it i mean it's just the most fulfilling job i think that you could have i can't think of i had a bunch of eighth graders my morning announcements crew practically chanting bring back mr fuller this (laughs) i didn't have them i did actually watch the announcements just once this week and i was like oh man but it's i'm glad that the students are involved though that's good so anyway, so. you probably watched the one where I wasn't there. They were freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what would you guys say as far as why did I mean, Jason, you as well? Yeah, I think for me, honestly, I I enjoy my profession. And I'd say the biggest reason it, it's not the money. It, it's not the um, intellectual, you know, stimulus that I get throughout the day. Um, although those are interesting aspects of it, I, I think for me, really, over the last five years, what I've what I've learned about myself is what's most important is that I am in a situation where I can be thoroughly and unapologetically the person I want to be. Mm. And um, I love oh, that the current situation I'm in allows me to do that. And I also love the amount of influence I can have in my job that mm-hmm. can be good in people's lives. Yeah. And as a, and I'm sure you guys feel this way as educators too, but you know, there are occasions where, you know, I'll just, I'll diagnose a medical issue and, you know, that's it, you know, black and white, I'll help somebody in that way. But I think more often than not, it's, it's developing a relationship and, and helping to mentor somebody in a way that helps them to grow. Mm-hmm. in their life and and i love that kind of influence i am able to have in my job there's an interesting sort of test as a teacher when you hear your name being called out at walmart mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you, you tighten up because yeah. you don't know which kind of feedback you're gonna get <laughs> but usually if they're calling your name out they liked you um yeah. but that's honestly 
one of the most rewarding things. I'll look at a kid. They're 21, 22 years old now. I don't remember their name at all. I remember the face. Yeah. And they're like, I always loved you and, and Mr. Rotherham and Mr. Oxer and is Mr. Fuller still there? And I finally get to say something different <laughs> no, now. No, he's like, not. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, that's sort of like the, oh, did the prescription work seven, mm-hmm. eight years later? Yep. Um, and that can be super fulfilling when yeah. you're, you realize, oh, that kid that... I can't even remember, remembers me. And that was a positive influence in their life. And sometimes that's really rewarding. It's interesting how I fell into middle school because middle school for me was extremely traumatic. Not a lot of people. Oh, you yourself as a middle schooler? Not a lot of people know my history as a middle schooler, but it was was severely, severely bullied. And so when I did my student teaching, I was with middle school, I was like, give me in, give me out. I it was almost like a post-traumatic, like stressed. Like w- when I walked in the door, I was like reliving my middle school years. And and then much to my surprise, I ended up loving it. And my mentor teacher said, um, you're really good at this. And if you love this, you need to stay here because mm-hmm. we don't have enough people at the middle school level yes. that love middle school students. Absolutely. And so there is a sense of pride that I can provide an environment that was that I didn't have a mm-hmm. safe environment and a, a var- environment of value that I did not personally have. And then there's also interesting that I've been able to mentor over the years different um, people, student teachers who are learning the craft. And it is such an interesting thing when you break down what we do to a more microscopic level of how complex it is. How many like thousands of decisions you're making within yes. a, such a short period of time. And to to think, okay, how do I unpack all of this and and then repackage it together in a chronological way that will teach someone how to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you start having pride in the fact of, wow, that's what I do on a daily basis. And it is a profession that is pretty cool to be able to see translate really powerfully in the gospel. Mm. I think it's something that sets up, like I look at a lot of times when I'm in a room of leaders or I'm in a room of people planning out things, I'm looking around and going, well, there's a teacher, there's a teacher, there's somebody with education. It it just calls to people that have to use certain skills in the gospel as well. Yeah. Interesting things. So. That value and can see learning and growth and humans and relationships and yeah yeah there's so many things that are there for sure so yeah i i think it's it's the best but i also am like don't become a teacher to my kids right, <laughs> right. for whatever reason right <laughs> oh, I, I do the same thing dude. do not become a doctor especially if it's for the money don't fool yourself right. i mean Ellen the other yeah. day was just like i love my history classes and i was like history's the worst you can't do anything with that i mean i was a social studies teacher myself right like that was what i loved and i was like well you can either become a professor or a teacher or a You're filmmaker. Not, <laughs> yeah. You, you recently you recently changed jobs. We were kind of alluding to that yeah. already, and I we you and I have talked a, a bit about you know the power of saying no and being able to do that as mm-hmm. you know especially mm-hmm. in leadership roles or in our work whatever. Um, and and you and I both probably err on the side of 
trying to help people. I always call myself a the recovering people pleaser. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a process, right? Um, <laughs> I don't it, know if I'm recovering. I think it's just it, flat out. <laughs> and I think, you know, you took a test recently. I think maybe Christine it compelled you to take a test. Uh, where, uh, it's yeah. not been recent, but she brings <laughs> it up often. <laughs> <laughs> where, where you fell in a category of obliger, right? Yeah, the four yeah. tendencies yeah, the is four the quiz, I think. And I don't remember who the author is. So I, I wondered just this process of, moving from you know the, being a principal to your current job was that part of you know you starting to learn to to say no to something and and you know I, i'm just curious if we could unpack that a bit <laughs> i i would like to some help unpacking this a little bit it's mm-hmm. been an interesting couple of months i think this came up a couple times and you know the questions that you asked is far as just challenges and i think one of the questions was what's the deepest loss that i felt besides death and i said that my my being the principal at agnes stewart has been the hardest kind of loss for me to i i mean i'm still not over it so i can't say that i've overcome it yet. um but it was a choice that i made and i think it was i mean some of it is you know as an obliger i <laughs> coming back to that quiz <laughs> um i do have like the tendency to I, I really care about the people that I worked with and um, I can't look at them right now or I'll start <laughs> to get emotional again, but uh, not that that's a surprise to anybody. Um, but uh, because I cared so much about them, I, I was presented with lots of different opportunities over the last 13 years to go and do other things. And there was a time where, you know, our district was maybe in a little bit more disarray and I started to seek out other things, but then some of that got resolved. But I, I always had to like think about a job and then think about, okay, I'm excited about it for the minute, right? For a lot of reasons, right? Like you feel good if you're like maybe getting what's supposedly a promotion or that you're wanted by somebody else to come and do some other job. And so it just feels good. So you get excited about that. But then I would think about like, okay, but what does that mean for all these people that I love? And am I ready to kind of do that? Or is this new job worth it? To, and it was always, no, <laughs> I'm not... I'm not either ready to leave or I'm not willing to leave to leave these people behind and this place that was really like my second home for the last 18 years. It's the only place that I've worked since we've lived in Oregon. I mean, I've accidentally driven there, I don't know, four or five times over the last couple (laughs) months because it's such a habit. Um, So I think part of it is that, you know, like being an obliger, just trying. But I wouldn't say it was fully that, but it was like that definitely had something to do with it. I didn't want to leave these people that I cared about who whatever and maybe my inflated sense of self thought that they depended on me or needed me. Um, Oh, we did. (laughs) (laughs) The the second you said you were moving on, it was so weird because Kirsten and I were in that room together working on that. Well, that's the story behind this too, is I had this interview and um, I hadn't really told anybody else besides the assistant principal that I worked with for 13 years. But then I knew that these two, Kirsten and John, were working in our large conference room on some social studies stuff. And I was like, I can't, I can't stand in front of our entire faculty and tell them that I'm going to be leaving when I hadn't, especially with these two people. And there's other people as well that I thought of. I don't want like Yarick to feel bad. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I knew that they were in there. So I went and had that conversation with them. So, But it was like that moment where I thought I was 100% Agnes, all in for my whole career. I was go Wolfpack. And then as soon as you said you were leaving, I 
could immediately see myself working somewhere else. <laughs> I could not envision that at all until you said that. It and was you like, need to follow up with what then happened because within 72 oh, yeah. hours. We were applying for the admin program. <laughs> Yeah, and that true. was I mean it, it was so desperate that we looked up what yeah. the deadline was and it was that day. So we contacted you, oh, we yeah, contacted a few other people, got our references, got it all and Within we applied. Six hours, we applied. Yeah, <laughs> by the end of the school day. And now here you are in a program yeah, at the University was, of Oregon. And but it was interesting how it was so clear. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a we're angry at you. We're we're jumping ship. We're it wasn't any of that. It was just a you had provided us an environment to grow and flourish, and we'd been very comfortable, and and that was just a clear bolt of lightning of it's time for you to move on. And I think there's major points in your life where you get comfortable, yeah, mm-hmm. and you are you know this is all fine, and and then to make a change that you know you need to do. It isn't until you get the slap in the face of it's time. Mm-hmm. You need to do something that's going to challenge you and it's mm-hmm. not going to be comfortable. And you're going to question sometimes why you did this, but it's what you need to do. And so it was just such an interesting experience to be able to have that and watch the domino effect of that. And process. it was so fast. And the thing about you as a leader is that there are some leaders that hold you down. They put you in a position like, that's your job. Whereas you let us, like Kirsten was saying, you let me explore so many professional avenues within that one building. Like just with like, you know, the media, the technology, it's like, I wanted to do all that stuff and be a teacher. And you're like, go for it. Here's the money to do it. And I never felt restricted. And so when you said you were leaving, it's like, well, we were heartbroken, first of all. <laughs> we we sat and cried. We did. we did. We sat and cried for the time because we we literally go, oh, we're so happy for you. And then you watch out the I door. I don't know if you were that happy and in we that were moment. Just both like, oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. one of the things that I have learned, is, you know, being there for so long, the staff at Agnes Stewart has been so and continues to be so supportive of me, right? Because it was a choice that I made and. I think that it wasn't like forced upon me. It was something that I pursued. And I think because hopefully I tried to provide opportunities for other people that they also felt like this is an opportunity for him. And that's exactly how we all saw. Everybody I talked to was just like, I don't blame him for doing this. Yeah, no one was you know, This is like, he's been sacrificing for 13 years. Get yours, wow. you know? I don't know about that. And But I also, coming back to what you said, Kirsten, I think, you know, you can get so comfortable and that's where I was, you know, and I was just in a very comfortable position. I could go to work and not really have to think. I mean, of course I had to think about a thousand things because every day, like you said, there's just so many decisions and conversations and problems that you're solving. Um, but it was a routine, you know, it was every day was the same thing. The school year kind of has a rhythm to it. There's like parent conference, you know, there, it's just like the same events, the same activities, Activities and um, I'm really proud of the work that that we did there and the culture that we created. And um, there's a lot of things I think over those 13 years we were able to accomplish. But I did finally get to a point where it was like I need to do something to stimulate myself again, to learn more, to keep learning, to keep and progressing. That's and, what I would urge anybody listening to this podcast: yeah. is figure out the thing in your life 
that is too comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So figure out the thing in your life that you've been putting off mm-hmm. and that you've surrounded yourself with and and in shake it up because yep. that's how we learn, that's how we grow, and that's how we get better. Right. Is every one of us gets into this zone of okay, but that's right. gonna be hard or you know, whatever. It and is. it is hard. I mean, there have been days over the last few months. I mean, there's days that have been super emotional for me. There's days I mean, it took me a long time to come back to Agnes Stewart and <laughs> still even there now, it just feels like it feels so familiar yet so somebody else different, living in you know. House. But uh and there's days that I'm just like, What have I done? This was a bad choice, maybe, you know. And then there's also days where I really love what I'm doing and love kind of a having a little bit of a bigger picture and a bigger uh, or a chance to learn new things and use different skills that I haven't used before. And you know what I'll say about that too is, is like, as far as like an obliger's perspective, because I'm somewhere there, although I think I also like scored in the rebel category. So much (laughs) people who know me like Jordan Boone and probably agree with that. But um, (laughs) anyway, not about me, but uh, (laughs) I I think a a choice like that a lot of times we can because i've made that kind of career decision too before and it can be viewed by you personally a lot of time personally we're on worst critic it can be viewed as like selfish mm-hmm. right but i would say my take on it is it's a form of self-care really and you know we we tend to even kind of negatively view self-care a lot of the time especially if we're really motivated people you know that's selfish that's taking away from time you could give to somebody else but one thing I, I heard, it, it was by a pastor, like not a member of our church, but he said, the one thing you are a steward of besides your own children is yourself, mm. <laughs> right? And mm. you, as a person, you, you have a limited capacity to give. You mm. need to recharge and you also need to be fulfilled in every aspect of your life. Yeah. You know, and and you're not bringing the best person to the stake presidency. You're not bringing the best person to your home if you're not fulfilling that part of you. So mm-hmm. I, I I just wanted to share that perspective yeah, or feeling. That. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. And I do feel much less stress. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been like, but then I also like feel some guilt about it. You know, like yeah. it's like I feel guilty that I don't feel as stressed as like some friends it's or like colleagues or even all of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I got out. Um, <laughs> but I honestly, I mean, I miss, I miss the kids. I miss seeing kids every day. I miss the relationships. They miss you. Yeah. So, but. It's been uh, it's been fun to go to the high schools and see some of our our former students too. That's been awesome. I wanted to talk with you more about a, another conversation you and I have had in, and I think we're really trying to. I think the reason we've talked about it a bunch is we're trying to emphasize this with our youth, and I, I'd like to move to emphasize it with just our our general population of the church is um, trying to help people understand the process of developing a personal relationship with the Savior. And I, I think that's been a mm-hmm. part of your leadership trajectory as well. Could you talk more about what that has been like for you? It's interesting. I, when I was reading just today, this morning, and, you know, come follow me in uh, Timothy. I can't remember what chapter, what, I think chapter four. But one of the scriptures in there, it talks about like, it basically is like telling people that they should study the gospel, learn the doctrine, you know, all of those things. It's the the scripture right after the, you know, be an example of the believers. It's like the next verse. I remember it being like the very next verse. I think it's like the same answers, right? Like, 
we have to put in work just like any relationship we have to put in some work we have to put in some effort you have to make time for it right so like you know it's i mean even like looking at you guys now it's so so nice to be in the same room with you because we used to see each other every day and now we don't and it takes effort like we have to put in time we have to like you might have to schedule some time to get together you might have to but you have to do the same thing with the savior you have to schedule time to get to know him and you do that through you know studying his life studying his words studying the scriptures it's transformative you know to have that relationship one of the things that stood out to me this past sunday we had that uh, worldwide youth testimony meeting which was incredible our youth are so amazing but before the youth started to share their testimonies we watched a video with sister freeman and brother lund and then president nelson who shared their testimonies sister freeman talked about you know the savior as her friend that she's come to know him as my friend and i think that that's I mean, like I said, it's just, it's really transformative if you allow that to happen and if you make the time for that to happen. But um, again, you have to, you have to make time for it. You have to invite him into your life. You have to get to know him and he's always there. It's it's pretty incredible. And I wanted to ask a follow-up question and, and open this up to Kirsten and John too, if you have insights, but it, was there anything that unlocked for you in that process? Because I, I think for me, like years growing up, I, I grew up in the church, but I always felt like, man, God hates me. <laughs> like I, you know, I, 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 I do these bad things. Uh, I'm continually told that they're wrong. Like I need to do all these changes in my life to kind of deserve God. And I think that was a huge barrier. And I, you know, that might be my own unique experience, but I, I was just <laughs> no, curious if, if you guys had an aha moment or, you know, where the light bulb turned on and it's like, oh, like I can have this relationship with God. I've apparently not had that moment yet because I feel like, I feel like the brother that's always disappointing the older brother, you know, mm. it's like, we're so hard on ourselves. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I look at the times I roll my eyes at my kids and I know that's what Heavenly Father's doing to me. <laughs> How many times, John, you know? But one thing I do know, one thing I do feel is that he's always there. Mm-hmm. The Spirit is always there. The Savior is always there. And that is like, that's sort of like the, the trust fall. It's like, I know that if I fall, He'll be there. That's and I'm like, so I'm just hanging on to that hope. Right. That that little kernel's like, um And I would say I would push back a little there. I don't think he's rolling his eyes, right? <laughs> like he knows you. Right. He knows like he knows your heart. Right? right. He's like, it's not a surprise to him, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what's disappointing to me. He's not surprised. <laughs> no, that he just loves you unconditionally right. and knows you and has, you know, it's... So I think it's going to be a work in progress for a long time. Maybe not. I, I guess that's up to me right mm-hmm. now long, but I do feel secure in the knowledge that my Heavenly Father loves me, that my Savior atoned for me, um, and that they're literally there like a friend um i don't have that relationship quite yet where i'm like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even i can't even unpack that like i feel like the savior is my friend I, i'm still working towards it i honestly well, i mean it's no. who we're becoming not who yeah, we became right, right? that's so right. true i mean i honestly would say 
for me, and maybe it's just because it's the most recent, but honestly, this year, my relationship with Christ has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, just, I think, studying his life in a different way for whatever reason. I don't know what I've done differently this this year than in years past, or maybe I just know that I just need him more with my calling, with my children, with this new job, that I just, like, that like thirst for righteousness mm-hmm. or that thirst to know them is such a real thing. And uh, so I feel like honestly this year has been kind of a an aha moment for me where I feel like I've, I'm not there yet, but I'm finally seeing him as a real person, right? With like right. a personality and with, you know, that he's not just this nebulous God, loving God that I've always loved and, mm. you know, and and have, have needed in my life, but, but that he's a person that he's, you know, just like, I mean, he's not just like us, of course, but, you know, but that he really can be our friend and our brother and uh, someone that we can depend on just like anybody else. I had a powerful experience when um, Ken was bishop. So when he got called to be bishop, uh, Finn was, I think, like three. And by the time Ken was done being bishop, um, we had our bonus surprise baby. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great story from work. (laughs) Kirsten came and cried to me, and I thought somebody had died. (laughs) She was pregnant. (laughs) But now we're so happy to have Ronan around. (laughs) And um, I remember, I mean, when, when Ken was bishop, it was not unusual for him to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week being bishop. I mean, he was a man who... Well, really, you're always the bishop, which is like the relentlessness right. of it, right. right? But I mean, like outside the home, I yeah, guess I should yeah. say. He was gone. It was like a full-time job plus. And there were a lot of nights where I would be by myself and it, there was it was challenging. It, and it was during some intense parenting years. I remember one particular night, it was just really bad. And... I remember praying, I need you to see me. I need you to send someone. Like I was literally listing, I need somebody knocking on my door with <laughs> something that like like something sugary. And I need, <laughs> I need to know that you see me. Yeah. And then I sat there and waited. And nothing, no, there was no knock, knock at the door. And I don't want to make it seem like no one's ever done that. They have. But in that moment, it did not come. And I just kept, I was so angry because I'm like, I'm being very specific about what I need. <laughs> yeah. And you are not fulfilling yeah. that need. And I feel like I'm sacrificing for you. And the thought that came into my heart was, um, am I enough? Um, it, are you okay being in this gospel if it's just you and me? Mm-hmm. If I'm not sending you someone right now, are you okay if it's just you and me? Mm. And that was really powerful for me because yeah. I that I suddenly realized, am I okay if it's him and I? And are him and I strong enough together? Mm. And do we have a relationship where I can depend on him to be there, right. to be the one yep. that's knocking on my door and saying, I'm here. Am I enough for you? And so that was a pivotal moment for me of then realizing that I needed to do enough work to be able to know who he was as a person if if he was coming into my life. And did I have a friendship with him? Did I have a relationship with him as much as I do someone tangible that I can think of or, Hmm. you know, that I've developed this relationship with? And so that was just a turning point for me to be able to be like, yeah, you are enough. 
if it's just you and me in this together, yes. Mm. And and having those personal conversations. Um, I believe in formal language when you're praying, but I also have a lot of prayers that are more casual mm-hmm. throughout the the day. And I found that that helps me get closer to him. Yeah. And yeah. it works for me. I've had a similar experience too lately. Um, I think it, I've shifted from this mindset I used to have, which I think a lot of people do, which is viewing God and, and Jesus as kind of this divine vending machine, right? Where it's, I pray to you, I do the things, and then you give me stuff and I want God's stuff, right? And and when you really, if you think of, you know, Nephi's dream, for example, when they go and partake of the fruit, the fruit isn't stuff, the fruit is God, the fruit is glory, mm-hmm. right? And And the shift that's been happening in me is realizing that God is enough and and having that relationship with him is what I should really be wanting above any kind of material thing or any other kind of reward. And the dialogue with that shift is changed to love and away from the, give me this, get me out of this. And, mm. you know, that can be starting every prayer informally, like you're talking about Kirsten, instead of jumping into the agenda for the day is just, I love you, God. Like, Mm. just being able to say those words. And then, you know, in difficult times, instead of, I'm not saying that I don't, but, you know, a lot of the time now in a difficult situation, and instead of jumping to get me out of this, it's, I just need you to love me right now, you know? And being able to do that. um, So that that's a way that it's changed for me. And I, as a bishop, I, I want to be able to help people to, see that, that they can rely on him for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it really is. Everything is so much about our personal relationship with the Savior, right? It's like, it's not somebody else can't do that for you, right? So, I mean, when you were talking to, it's like we can get offended by other people in the church or we can get offended by, you know, all sorts of things or get, you know, and, and that, that those things are real. And there are some things that are incredibly offensive and would be hard to um, kind of come back to but in the end it really does come down to your relation your personal relationship with the savior and with with heavenly father and it's something you have to work on i think every day john or kirsten any other things you wanted to get into and oh my gosh now we're getting for a school teacher i took this for granted yeah it's getting late i'm just like (laughs) we're just talking to jeff but i'm like you have Fuller here. You could ask him anything, and I didn't think yeah. of anything. <laughs> oh. Oh. I'm trying to use these questions as sort of prompts. Kirsten has that. a list. Yes. Well, I had one thing. I loved this talk that Nelson just gave in this last general conference. President Nelson, he said this words of think celestial. Mm-hmm. And I've even used it in my family of different things. Ken will roll his eyes because I'd be like, are you thinking celestial? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, here comes the theme for everything next year. <laughs> right. Like you pictured it already. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, but I thought it was a really powerful phrase. And so I'm just curious yeah. over the course of your years, um, what do you, what have you, discarded what have you um realized doesn't matter or Mm. been able to drop and go this is not the big thing that we think it is this is a mortal thing versus a celestial 
Besides college football, which besides is besides college which football, I did write. I, well, I, I and and then I I wrote this though before the season had started, oh, okay. you know, and it was like all of the realignment stuff, and I was just like, oh, they're ruining college ruining football, college, yeah. and then I was mad about it, and now it's. I mean, I'm watching it every Saturday right. and watch BYU and Oregon play every Saturday and whatever, and I'm all invested, and it's annoying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking celestial. It's it's a challenge, I think, still. I'm trying to think of, like, what things that I... Is it different than Eternal Perspective, Thinking mm-hmm. Celestial? I think of them as pretty similar, I think. It's like keeping that, you know, like the Eternal Perspective in mind and mm-hmm. what's important is and what... So I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer for that. Do you have one? <laughs> um, I guess long-term. Mm-hmm. And And... I think we are, for me, mortal, mortality is all about time frames, mm-hmm. starts and end times. Yeah. And and I think that it just doesn't exist. Right. In a yeah. Special. I think we're, we need to let go of, I need to be here by this point, or this person needs to be here by this point, or this is the cutoff date. If you haven't met these things by this time, you're out of luck. Well, there's that right. scripture in Alma that says that time is only measured to man or something. And that's so insulting to me because it's like... Right. We all have these watches and we live by the schedule. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's no schedule for your personal relationship with the Savior. There's right. no schedule for your salvation. It's like, it's in your time and it's in God's time. And Right. Yeah, and the eternal progression is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it really probably comes back to that parenting discussion that we had earlier, you know, that like think celestial as our kids get older and make choices for good or bad. Or, you know, we, I think like you had said earlier, it's like we've always put so much weight and kind of like the outcomes for our children or something, you know, and that's just too much heavy of a burden mm-hmm. to place on ourselves. And so I think thinking celestial for me is, that's something I'm still working on, you know, and, and I, I know I believe it. Like I, I believe that to be true, that, that there's a long, like he's like a long time. We've got a long time frame here, but then there's also moments where I still fall into that worry and concern and which isn't, I guess, a bad thing, but as long as I don't let that kind of weigh me down or see my children differently. And so I'd say that's probably the area that I, I think of that the most. So sounds like a good discussion. I definitely didn't leave to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I was actually I was thinking about the uh, reflecting on that exact talk uh, earlier today and thinking about what that meant for me. And you know, I I think for me it it means letting fear go. Mm. Um, whether it's the topic of vulnerability or or anything else, you know, I I just I'm reading through Alma right now, and I I love the story of the stripling warriors and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one verse where they talk about they they did not fear death. You know, they yeah. they cared about more important things like their family, like their um, their faith, their God. You know, right. and I think that is living celestial. Mm-hmm. It's it's letting go of the fear that the adversary wants to be a part of our life, and and letting God fully have our heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything else we want to get into, guys? Or we're about at time, so. I had one last question, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I, we've touched on this quite a bit, but the the last question for the mini series is, who are you becoming, Jeff Fuller, through mm-hmm. Jesus Christ? 
Well, I think it is uh, definitely a process. Um, I would hope that I am becoming a better version of myself on the way to becoming the best version that I can be. And I know that that can only happen because of the Savior and because of the covenants that I'm making with him. I think, you know, I mean, even thinking about this talk from President Nelson and thinking celestial and and what you just shared, Jason, it's like allowing the Savior and our Heavenly Father to have our whole heart, right? And no matter what avenue of life that we're heading down, whether it be like you think of like your life as a parent or your life as a husband or as a um, an educator and everything, you know, my relationship with the Savior and who I'm striving to become with Him by my side through the covenants that I've made um, really defines or sh- I'm striving to uh, to have that define every aspect of my life, which I don't think that I could see that before. But I, because of the Savior, I know that I can be made whole. I love that kind of idea that, you know, no matter what the gap is between where we are and where and who we can become, the Savior makes up all of that, that gap. And uh, as I've come to know him more and love him more, I just want to be more like him. I want to be able to see people in the way that he does and serve people in the way that he does and just be more self selfless. And, um, there's just so much more to, to do, but I'm, I'm grateful. And I do know that because of that, I feel more joy, like true joy comes when I'm really striving and trying to become like the savior and I can have peace and happiness in my life. I've, I've definitely felt that I'm, just so grateful for him and for all that he has done for me personally. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for staying the extra time. I, I really enjoyed this episode and this chat. So, Thank you, everybody, for listening to part two of this mini-series called Who We're Becoming. You know, if, if you're enjoying this break from our usual format, you know, let me know. And if this is something that is meaningful and helpful to you guys, which I hope it is, then we'll we'll continue making these episodes from time to time. I have a few other mini-series planned that I'll unveil in the coming weeks. There's also something I, I will unveil sooner than later. We have two new promotional items that are still in the vault. These are not things you can purchase. You can only win them at random for sharing the show. And I thank everybody who shares. We are going to probably be giving away one or two of those items every week to somebody who shares the show in some exceptional way. So I, I thank you again to everybody that's sharing and, and helping the show to grow. And, you know, thank you for being a part of our community. We really couldn't do this without you. Until next time, take care. <laughs>